Warning, this episode climaxes with an explosion of sperm jokes, which makes that sperm joke premature. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by the new line of fashionable body shrouds for Muslim women, Koran Taylor Burke Loft. Are you a strong, successful, career-oriented woman, except the exact opposite because you live in a Muslim theocracy? Embarrassed about wearing that ill-fitted, generic black sheet? Want to stand out in the crowd when you're occasionally permitted in public? Well, too bad. Koran Taylor Burke Loft. One size slits all. And now, the scathing atheist. Hello, this is Regula from Zurich, Switzerland. I'm here to tell you that if you look at the people who live in some of the more secluded alpine valleys in my country, you will be convinced that they, like me, evolved from filthy, dirty, monkey men. December 4th. And a Muslim person never gave me 2.5% of their money because I'm poor. Not even me once. Neither. Not anybody I know. They only have five commandments, and that's one of them. Infidels. I'm no illusions. I'm Heath Enright, and from I seen a Jew once, Podunk, Georgia, this is the Skating Atheist. In this week's episode, Adam Reeks will join us to talk about a pastor whose fascination with sperm blew up in his face. Nepal murders goats, we have proof. And Lucinda will join us as the Bible finally jumps the great fish. But first, the diatribe. Like many of you, I spent most of my Thanksgiving weekend actively avoiding the subject of religion, and again, like many of you, I failed. Now, it only came up once, and during that conversation, I think I realized for the first time how difficult it really is to insulate oneself from reality. So the conversation starts innocently enough. Commercial comes on for Ridley Scott's new Exodus movie, and I made a comment that I was really excited to see it. You know, I'd say what you will about the Bible, but it's as good a place as any to find mythological inspiration, and the movie looks pretty awesome. So my brother and his wife thought it odd that the atheist would want to see a movie about Moses, and then I pointed out their son was wearing a Thor t-shirt at that moment, but they didn't seem to catch the connection. Anyway, my sister-in-law agreed that she was tepidly optimistic about the film, but after hearing that Scott provided a, gasp, scientific explanation for the parting of the Red Sea, she had her doubts. So... While I'm recovering from the use of the term scientific explanation in reference to the guy who made Prometheus, my sister jumps in, takes the opportunity to launch into this convoluted secular explanation for how the exodus might have happened. Now, you may have heard this one before, but in case you haven't, the, let's call it, theory goes like this. Some kind of bacteria gets into the Nile, turns the water red, that scares out all the frogs, the frogs come into town and die, that brings the gnats and the flies, the gnats and the flies bring the pestilence, the pestilence brings the dead kids. Anyway, it's all this creative post-hoc rationalization, and it's kind of cool or whatever, but it's a hell of a lot more complicated than the actual answer, which is none of that shit ever happened. As I found myself reluctantly explaining in the moment, there's no evidence whatsoever that Jews were ever slaves in Egypt at any point in history. There's no evidence of a massive exodus of Jews, slaves, or Jewish slaves from Egypt. There's no artifacts in the desert that suggest a massive nomadic tribe of Jews was wandering around at that time. There are no contemporary records of a giant Jewish migration. There's no evidence of any of the plagues. There's no Egyptian record of anything mentioned in the Bible. The Bible gets the names of the fucking pharaohs wrong. 
The Exodus doesn't need a scientific explanation any more than Horton hears a who. And of course, as I'm explaining all of this, the response is to call all of historical method into question. Of course, this draws my little sister, herself a history professor, into the conversation to defend the fact that, yes, indeed, there are no credible historians anywhere on Earth that would suggest that the Exodus was even remotely based on true events. And, of course, in light of the authority and verifiability of this assertion, all of my religious family members changed their minds, adjusted their worldviews to be in accordance with well-established fact, and we went on to have a lovely meal of braised unicorn with minced Muppet glaze because of fucking course they didn't change their minds. Instead, they continued to argue with anything and everything, including the fundamental precepts of epistemology. They concocted explanations more convoluted than the apologetics that you hear from people who liked the last episode of Lost. And when all of that failed... They got angry. Now consider that anger for a second. What are they mad at? In an effort to protect the fragile scaffolding of their faith, they're getting mad at history. They're upset at the chronological series of events that lead to now. They're angry at antiquity for not having played out in the way most conducive to their preferred brand of stupidity. And, of course, history is far from the only academic discipline that pisses them off. Astronomy, biology, archaeology, physics, geology. Common fucking sense. They throw them all under the bus at a moment's notice if they threaten to pop the Jesus bubble. Their very ability to interact with and understand the world around them is limited by the boundaries of their willful ignorance. And more than any one thing, I think that that was the impetus for my disbelief. You know, people often ask me when I became an atheist or what happened to make me stop believing. And generally, I don't have a good answer because becoming an atheist isn't like turning into a werewolf or something. It happens slowly. It happens over time. And there's usually no clear line of demarcation where I'm a believer on one side and an atheist on the other. But if I had to pick a moment and call it the beginning of my atheism, it would be the first time I ever encountered that religious resistance to free inquiry. I was uh, like maybe eight years old or whatever. We're at the library. and My mom refuses to allow me to check out a book about witchcraft. Now, I was into all forms of mythology at that time, and I didn't understand why the hell any particular kind of mythology should be off-limits, or why any information should be off-limits. And the seed of doubt was planted right there. I realized that basically there are two groups of people both purporting to tell the truth. One group encourages you to doubt them, check them out, and learn about everything. The other group tells you to shut up, ignore everyone else, and never question their authority. One need know nothing but that to determine which one of them is full of shit. They're talking about your Jesus. We interrupt this broadcast and bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight is the cat that won't cop out when there's danger all about Heath Enright. <laughs> Heath, are you ready to be a sex machine to all the chicks? Damn right. In our lead story tonight, they say that Hindu goddess is one bad mother. Shut your mouth. Fucker. Well, yeah, I don't care about that, but it's just my week to start with. So anyway, in our lead story tonight, the world's largest religious mass slaughter took place in Nepal over the weekend, wherein an estimated quarter million goats, roosters, and buffaloes were clumsily hacked to death by zealots in an effort to win magical wishes from the Hindu goddess Charles Manson. This quinquennial tradition is among the most cruel and disgusting displays of religious idiocy in the world, and I say that knowing full well just how bad Kirk Cameron's Saving Christmas really was. <laughs> it was terrible. So, so did it work, though? The, the slaughtering? The, is Nepal doing great now? The goddess of power? Well, they wouldn't keep out, doing it if it around. didn't work, would uh, they? Obviously. So, so, so it was a righteous, you know, perfectly humane mass slaughtering, as you'd expect well, look, from religious people. Apparently, the procedure calls for about four hundred people to stand in an enclosed pen with a bunch of machetes and, and a thousand plus baby buffaloes and start hacking away until there's nothing moving, and then they uh, switch to the goats. And then the, 
See, okay, that's just bad staging. I mean, you open <laughs> well, with least. the goats. Murdering the baby <laughs> buffaloes, that's your closer, obviously. These these guys can't even orchestrate a mass murder show, right? A bunch of amateurs. Yes, they and, suck. And from the circuit-breaking two electric jugaloo file tonight, the police department of Lakewood, New Jersey, has been gracious enough to protect and serve the entire population of the township, which includes approximately 60,000 Orthodox Jewish people, mostly of the ultra-Orthodox Haredi persuasion, whose tax evasion and related shenanigans defund the department budget and also effectively bankrupted the local public school district last year. That was nice of them. Yeah. Well, it turns out this particular community didn't feel they were getting their zero dollars worth, so they've also been enlisting police assistance with stupid little tasks like flicking light switches, replacing batteries, and other such ridiculous forbidden stuff they can't do on the Sabbath because right. they're terrified now, of the guy in this We should be perfectly at. clear here. It's, it, they're not you know, calling 911 and asking them to send out a light switch jockey because... They're also not allowed to make phone calls. That's the reason they don't do that. So when they want their lights out during the Sabbath, they simply wander the streets until they find a police officer, and then they ask her to come back and perform the forbidden flick, which takes longer than you'd think since there are about 59,999 other local Jews whose kitchens are dimming at pretty much the same time and only so many on-duty goyim. So, you know, it's a good thing there's no crime in New Jersey, or this would be a psychotic misappropriation of public resources. Yeah, that would be a disaster. I'd also like to add, this ridiculous job exists, and the Jews already have a name for it. And they do. It's not police officer. It's not. It's called Sabbath Goy, which is basically (laughs) Hebrew for already hellbound Saturday bitch. Right. (laughs) And they pay this heathenish Gentile to break all of God's rules for them. Apparently, they think if they don't actually hand the money to this person until an hour after sundown on Saturday, somehow they're not breaking the no transactions rule, nor will they get in trouble for financing a day of sins because, again, God's that easy to dupe. You just Their do these, God like, is bullshit, so fucking stupid. As if those hats didn't make them hard enough to take seriously. You have to also deal with that incredibly <laughs> yeah. dumbass God they've got. Yeah, the Jews really fucking get God, thing. don't they? They're, they're <laughs> right. right. Maybe they'd like the police to build them a high place out of bacon and bring some foreigners for them to fuck. They would be... <laughs> right. Useful. What could go wrong? There's nothing in the book about that, no, is there? I, I, I'm sorry. I don't want to overanalyze your joke, but biblically speaking, there's nothing wrong with fucking foreigners. You, you oh. can't marry them, okay. but as long as you're massacring their city and they aren't willing participants, it's okay to fuck them. Right, right. As long as you don't, don't get the consent. Right, exactly. Sometimes they're fine, but well, there's, know, a, there's, there's a process, and it's not, not that big. Canaanites. And from the Freedom of Preach file, we've got the story of Michael Leal, a high school student in Everett, Washington, who's suing after being suspended from school for being an unapologetically douchey Bible thumper. According to Leal, quote, there's people that talk about many other things, football, basketball, baseball, but when I start talking about the Bible, people get riled up, end quote. And in his defense, you know, what's the difference between a couple of buddies talking about baseball and a fire and brimstone zealot screaming about Jesus through a megaphone at a school dance? Well, hold on, hold on. Was he screaming through a megaphone at a school dance about Jesus, um, like... Like, obtrusively? <laughs> or, you know, like, you know, the helpful. article didn't say. Now, look, it's true that students have a, a right to free speech, but it's also true that the school is allowed to set up reasonable standards. <laughs> reasonable standards? Good luck yeah. talking to the Christians about reasonable and standards. Well, right, and right, yeah. Well, that's what the school is learning at the point of a lawyer right mystery. now. Now, among the standards is a rule against disrupting class, which is probably applicable here, since at least one of the three times as he was suspended for this shit, it was for handing out pamphlets during math class. You know, and by the way, funny how no conservative lawyers ever stand up to defend anybody's First Amendment rights to say, do you like me? Check this box. 
<laughs> and by the way, who says that. maybe there? This is, this is middle school. What does that even mean? <laughs> just the t- we're in middle school. How do I? Yeah, if I'm lucky, maybe it's just I don't a interpret t- that. And of course, the school also has a rule Seven. against showing up at the school function with a megaphone and yelling about how all the sinners are going to burn in hell for dancing. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, I'm all about the anti-bullying stuff. It's a good philosophy, what they're doing right now. But, okay, so here's where it comes at a cost. I mean, (laughs) this wouldn't have happened. Back when I went to school, this kid shows up at a dance, preaching into a megaphone like a lunatic. Uh, The bully punches the kid in the face once. The kid starts crying, and he leaves with that megaphone around his head like a dog leaving the vet. That's We're we're (laughs) all It's like win, 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 lose for just what (laughs) – pluses and minuses, but mostly wins. It's like how the mafia is nice for a town, you know, except once in a while the shakedown and murder victims don't deserve it. Generally, generally good. You got to take it. And by the way, everything he says is sarcastic. Just assume it's sarcastic when not otherwise noted. Except for the, the, the dog with the head thing. I want that, the kid definitely what... leaving with the megaphone. With the head. That was not sarcastic at all. Now, while this, so even sometimes when it is otherwise noted. Now, <laughs> while the school can't legally make any public comment about it, uh, plenty of Leo's classmates have taken to the internets to comment on the school's behalf. And the essence of their message, as near as I can tell, is that kid is a crazy fucker that's eventually going to make a fat guy eat to death just to fuck up Morgan Freeman's retirement. But, of course, according to Leal's attorney, he never disrupted any classes. He complied with all the rules. He won't come in your mouth, and he only drove his sermons to church on Sunday. And finally tonight, from the I'm Grimacing Already file, three area friends didn't have enough money to buy a McDonald's franchise, Aww. so they decided to start what they're calling... The McMass Project, hoping to crowdsource $1 million in venture capital on Indiegogo.com so they can build a Jesus-themed Mickey D's in one of the many abandoned churches in the Philadelphia region. Well, that seems like a great idea. It's about damn time. (laughs) About time to franchise the cannibalism. Exactly. So they're doing it. And in response to this ridiculous news, a spokesman from the real service restaurant industry said, quote, Yes, please make this happen. Please feed them after church. Keep those people the fuck <laughs> right. out of real restaurants on Sunday afternoon. Please and thank you. End quote. So the entire guess, service is Yeah, right, right. That's one silver lining. Another is that, uh, you know, give them four or five years of doing this, and they'll be giving you those wine things like 44 ounces at a time. So, <laughs> so just in case anyone's curious how they're doing so far with the Jesus Burger campaign, in just three weeks, they've already raised 242 Dollars, and they still <laughs> have until million. mid-January to raise the remaining nine hundred ninety-nine thousand seven hundred fifty-eight dollars. Uh, so <clears throat> I don't feel like doing any more math than I just did, but I'd say it's safe to assume they're probably just about to hit the goal. Maybe before <laughs> mid-January, which pace. means the smart money says we better brainstorm some ideas for this uh, burgeoning eatery worship market. Thirty seconds <laughs> on the good. clock. Blah-blah-blah. Ideas for religious-themed fast food chains. Go. All right, all right. How about um, INRI Hop? Because Christianity is full of crepes. <laughs> How about Mickey Deist? If you don't like the McRib, fuck it. Just build a woman. And then fuck, fuck it. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, how about the Olive Garden of Eden? Because the Applebee's <laughs> is forbidden. <laughs> that, of course, led to the original Sin-N-Out Burger. I'd eat there. Okay. I love Lucy Fur Burgers. I do eat there. Um, okay, so I, I know we did Christian pizza places a couple of weeks ago, but I forgot to use Chucky e. Jesus, so I'm going to use that now. <laughs> well, then, how about uh, in your pocket. Hell's Bells Infidel Taco? Nice. Gracias, Señor. Yo quiero uno más. 
yes, you may have another, but not until this 30 seconds bit is over. Anyway, um, all right, so we're switching to Muslims. I will do acid attack in the box. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. I'll stop well, making those jokes anyway. when they stop throwing <laughs> acid on innocent women's oh. faces. <laughs> so that's mean too. All right, uh, I'm I'm switching over to Eastern religion. What about Way of the Bun, Charmin Mao's Cow Tao and Chow? Make me bun with everything. Make me, yeah, exactly. Uh, how about um, Ponderosa Crucians? Because once every 94 episodes or so, we should make fun of Rosicrucians. <laughs> All right, what about uh, Jamba Jews? Blending with ices since Exodus. And, of course, on behalf of the local Baptist population, I'd like to suggest the inbred lobster, where even the customers have claws. <laughs> um, how about KKKFC? We do Christian right. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess Kentucky's good, but you have to go to the deep south if you want to get real crucified chicken. So, I know this stuff is... All right, I'm going to get fancy. Ready for a Vonnegutian Muslim... Burger joint, religious joke? All I right, was born ready for a Vonnegutian <laughs> Muslim burger joint joke, sir. How about Slaughterhouse Five Pillars? Two halal beef patties, Allah's boss, prayers and peas, <laughs> mecca bunions. Now, fast for a month, it's fun. Oh, dude, well done. Well done. The joke per second ratio oh, on that one was amazing. Boss, prayers and peas, yeah. Now, fast for a month, it's fun. Anything I added would be a disappointment, so I guess we can just close the headlines there. Heath, thanks as always. <laughs> Jumanji. And when we come back, Adam Reeks from The Herd Mentality will be here to put our American accents to shame. A man wrote the Bible. A whore is what she wants. If it's a legitimate race. It makes you a slut, right? Cooking can be fun. Hey, I'm proud of a man. This week in Massage. After five months, I realized that doing this segment is starting to change me a bit. When it came time last Thursday to talk about what I was thankful for, the first thing that popped into my head was all the incredibly fucked up countries I'm thankful that I don't live in. Of course, foremost on that list is always Saudi Arabia. And I was reminded last week of why, when astute listener Doug forwarded me a story about a diner that had recently banned single women from dining there so that, quote, the restaurant is not shut down because of the misbehavior of an adolescent or mentally unstable woman, end quote. By mentally unstable, I thought maybe he meant hasn't risked life and limb to get the fuck out of Saudi Arabia. But he went on to detail the mentally unstable behaviors he had in mind, like smoking, flirting, or even talking. I should note that things might be getting a little bit better in Saudi Arabia, but that's like saying a tumor is a little less malignant today. Next year, Saudi women will, for the first time, be eligible to vote in local elections and even hold very unimportant elected offices. Hell, perhaps one day they'll be as progressive as Indonesia, where women can even be police officers, provided that they're unmarried and virgins. Go ahead, ask me how they find out if they're virgins. Seriously. Yes, it's as bad as you think it is. While the government officials claim that tactile hymen integrity exam was abolished years ago, investigators with Human Rights Watch say they had no trouble finding female officers who were subjected to this humiliating perversity as recently as this year. So yeah, all things considered, I'm damn glad I don't live in a Muslim country. But even the more progressive nations don't get off the hook here. Take, for example, British radio host Nick Conrad, who came to the defense of a convicted rapist by explaining that, quote, if you yank a dog's tail, then don't be surprised when it bites you, end quote. He went on to explain that men sometimes just can't help but rape women because sometimes they really, really want to ejaculate in them. He later, of course, apologized for the remarks and any offense that may have been caused, but when he did it, he spelled offense with a C, 
So it didn't really count for Americans that were offended like myself. So Nick, apology not accepted. And fuck you. That's not all the misogyny I have for you this week, but I'm going to go ahead and close it there anyway. I need to hold on to a bit of my feminine outrage for this week's Holy Babble. Until next time. Very happy to welcome back my next guest. Adam Reeks is the producer and host of the Herd Mentality podcast. He rocks that sexy Australian accent that my wife asks me to fake during foreplay. And now he has tied Thomas from Thomas and the Bible as the second most off-recurring guest on our show. Adam, welcome back. Uh, thank you. Is it Noah Ludgens? Something like that, that, yeah. How you pronounce it? Yes. Now, the reason that I invited you on today was to respond to a recent video filled with accusations against your character. But before we get to that, I want to set up the backstory. So we've, we've talked about Pastor David J. Manning of Atla World Ministries a number of times on this show. But for those people who don't recognize the name, tell us, who is Pastor Manning and how did he first come to your attention? Well, he's a semen enthusiast. That he is. Uh, <laughs> indeed, he is. He he appears quite regularly, from what I can tell, on rightwingwatch.org. And this is a, a wonderful place to find Pastor Manning and other semen enthusiasts. It came to my attention because it was the perfect material to splice up and do a false interview. Right. We covered this exact rant of his on this show. It actually even devoted a 30 seconds on the clock bit to it. This was when he accused Starbucks of, of spiking their lattes with semen. Uh, and of course, you do a, a little mock interview at the beginning of each of your episodes. Manning was the unwitting victim of one such interview. So uh, let's give that interview with Pastor Manning a quick listen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Herd Mentality. And today I have a very special guest. Me? I'm James David Manning, everybody. I'm the Lord's servant. So excited to have you on. Now, firstly, let's discuss your credentials. You are... A homosexual sodomite. Whoa, I wasn't expecting that. Aren't you friends with Ray Comfort? Who is a sodomite. That's probably not quite right. No, this is the absolute truth. Okay, then. Now, you've been in the media recently. Uh, what else? Gay Star News, I think, was one. And, and they wrote an accurate article about what it is that you do. They said that this church is a hate church, and that I'm a hate preacher. Now, before we begin, can I offer you a coffee? It was a big article about an investigation into Starbucks using male semen. Ah, well, I'll have mine black. Now I know why I go to Starbucks. And now I know why I avoid it. So my question is, where are they getting all this semen from? That's a great question, James. Are you involved? Don't stutter, because we'll know that you're implicated in the supply chain. I, I You know, my sus sus suspicion is that they're getting this semen from sodomites. Hmm, sounds like you're involved. Tell me, what exactly is semen? My suspicion is, is that semen has the opportunity and it has millions and millions of little zygotes in it. Zygotes in semen? This is even more serious than I thought. You ever go to the doctor and he tells you that, well, I don't want to go there. Well, don't go there. And you bring back the cup. I said don't go there. But the deal is, is this. You're going there. What Starbucks was doing is that they were taking specimens of male semen. Stop. And they were putting it in the blends of their, their uh, lattes. You went there. And it flavors up the coffee. Right. You know what cord blood is? No. Well, I don't have time to tell you if you know what cord blood is. Good. Now, you've kindly provided me with a copy of your afternoon agenda, so let's take a look. 2 p.m., you're hanging out with... You know, untoward types. With like-minded people at a coffee shop. The Starbucks is a place where these... 
type, frequent, and a lot of body fluids are exchanged there. 3 p.m. you'll be drinking semen. 3.45. Getting high on the farm. <laughs> Sounds exhausting. And it makes you think you're having a good time drinking that cup of latte with the, with the semen in it. Wish I could join you. 4 p.m. you'll have been using sexual fluids to satisfy your sodomite propensity. Gosh. I'm not making this up. So there's no secret about it. You're slipping some of your own testicular extract into your friend's coffees. And so I suppose that they'll be back again and again and again. And why wouldn't they? Well, I guess that you'll be in the media even more now. Because we have stated that Starbucks is ground zero for Ebola. And you wouldn't state this without using facts to back up your claims. That's what my suspicion is. Hmm. James David Manning from Atla World Ministries, thanks for your time. I mean, can you imagine it? And I believe that they were doing that. You know, I, I, you know Coca-Cola got started at, you know, 100 years ago by using cocaine. They were actually using cocaine. Now, there's also a YouTube video that goes with that interview. I shared it on our Facebook page, and I'll link it on the show notes for this episode. I strongly urge everybody to check it out. Way funnier with the visuals. But it was through that video that Pastor Manning first became aware of you. Yes, I put it up on my YouTube channel, naturally, then tweeted it out. And it would appear that Pastor Manning has tweeted that video out without actually watching it. it the story was picked up by, <laughs> by The Independent in London. And all of a sudden, it came, as it were, onto his radar. And Pastor Manning then decided to launch into a full nine-minute unabridged diatribe, getting quite angry about me and the other sodomites who are involved in splicing pumpkin lattes with semen. In his response, he made a number of specific accusations. I've pulled a few clips from that video, and I'd like you to answer a few of these allegations, starting with the (laughs) obvious one. This will be good. So what this Adam Reeks guy did was chopped up my words and had me saying things that I did not say. He, he redacted, if you will, and edited my video. So did you, in fact, have him saying things he did not say, Adam? I implied that he meant different things with the words that he actually did say. Now, that would be... The words semen and drinking used in the revo- in the reverse order to imply that he was indeed um, gargling some man juice. Yes, and, and as a follow-up question, did you in fact redact his video? And also, what the hell does that even mean? I'm not quite sure. Let's just say yes, because I'm, I'm willing to go with him on this one. All right, all right. He seems like, a, seems like <laughs> an no honest enough re- guy. <laughs> and, and now this is, a, this is a, a bit of a related clip, I guess. They, they drew a picture of me. Not a very good likeness. Now, I guess this brings me to a two-part question. First, did you draw a picture of him? No, that was a stock image, actually. <laughs> the whole system, I'm, an, I'm not an animator. I went and paid some money to a website, which allowed me to just put the audio in underneath it. All right, so now, those were just a couple of basic kind of setup questions, but these next few really speak to your motivations. <laughs> the problem is is that I'm so factual and on point that they cannot resist publicizing what I do. Is that the problem then? Is, is it his factualness? I'm not sure I can really argue with him there because on either side of everything he says, there's always some sort of conspiracy theory being flung around. So uh, 
when he's saying he's factual and on point, to which fact and on what point is he referring? It's very difficult to see through this, Noah. Yeah, well, I will say uh, I can definitely agree that when he speaks, something is being flung around. Okay, now this is a this is on a related subject. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I think that they think I'm fascinating. That's what I think. Yeah, and, and, and they just love to hear me talk. That's what it is. Adam, do you find Pastor Manning fascinating? Have you ever heard a meditation video, Noah? Uh, yes, I have. Yeah, this is nothing like that. I put them on <laughs> when I want to stay up until very very early hours of the morning to edit them out of context. Now, I, I do want you to respond to this question that Pastor Manning posed to his listeners. Do you see what I did? Did you? Can you believe that they would do me? So can you, in fact, believe that you would do that? Uh, who is they? <laughs> like I said, is... he seems to think you've got a whole production team going. <laughs> this is a one-man operation, Noah. <laughs> I just change hats when I go from the audio software to the video software. <laughs> See, much like spicing up a, a Starbucks latte, it is a one-man job. I have another and, hat and... for that as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I thought that's what you were tweeting me. All right, so uh, now clearly we've just been teasing the penis-related elements of this story, but this next clip really goes to the heart of the issue. Uh, the Starbucks really has discovered that sodomites love the taste of semen in their lattes. Now, this seems like a very serious accusation, and I should note that Starbucks has yet to publicly respond to Pastor Manning's assertions here. Um, and now, I know that you don't exactly speak for Starbucks, but your video implies that you doubt his claim. O on what basis? Well, <sighs> evidence? <laughs> Any at all? Claims are made all the time, Noah, and people take, lazy people take the path of least resistance. It's infuriating. This story was a mock story from an, an Onion sort of news site. It's called Hustlers.com. And they just do uh, news stories which are deliberate. They're clickbait, really. And this guy's taken it hook, line, and sinker. I, I do want to, I, before I play this next clip, I want to point out that this is actually a full, unadulterated sentence that Manning actually said in response to your video. Everybody knows that, you know, I said I'm a homo so sodomite and that I drink semen. And so, Adam, does everyone know that he's a homo sodomite to drink semen? Well, they do now. If they've seen the video, <laughs> if, there, if there was any doubt prior to hearing this interview, let it uh, be known that that is actually a sentence he said because I, th there is no editing that takes place on his end. It just, no. it just flowed. No, it just Absolute. flowed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of flowing and flinging when uh, when he's talking here. Um, all right, so now this this next clip speaks to what I think Manning believes to be a related subject. Dracula loves to drink blood. Now, the historical evidence might actually back him up on this one, but I'm curious to get your take. Does Dracula love to drink blood? Can't argue with it. If Dracula were to exist, he almost certainly would love drinking blood. Why it was pulled into this, well, God only knows. <laughs> That's uh, what I love is that he doesn't even seem to think that he needs a reason to go from sodomite to blood drinker. Like apparently those are just subsets in his mind of of the same but thing. It, it does make a refreshing change <laughs> to not go to the pedophile angle, you know, <laughs> sodomite. Right? Okay. All right. You know, so so we're finding some spots where where we can agree with Pastor Manning, where we cut, can uh, where we can He's cut them some slack, which is good of him. Nice guy. Yeah. I've just got a few more clips. This is a short one. 
you know, oral, you know what I mean. Now, the <laughs> idea that anyone knows what he means might be the least credible accusation that he makes in this entire response, but do you, in fact, know what he means when he says oral er um um? Uh, this is why we're spending hours and hours deep <laughs> processing the claims, because it, it, it seems like we have part of the story, Noah. This is all very hard. And if you have any doubt why Adam is confused, of course, this next clip will help to uh, clear that up. So you say I am off my rocker by suggesting that Starbucks has found a way to have sex in public for $9 a hit? So do you say that he's off his rocker for suggesting that? Well, that, <laughs> that answer is invariably yes. However, what qualifies as sex in public, Noah, to you? I would think at, at some point uh, you have to insert your, your penis in something for it to count in, as sex in public. I think that's the minimum. Or even some self-abuse, whereas this really qualifies as neither. No, no, hmm. it does not. So he may indeed be off his rocker. Now, that, that brings us to a, this last clip, and it's the longest and probably the most insane. But I wanted to include this one, lest he, anyone in the audience thinks that I'm just taking short little snippets that make him sound crazier than he actually is. So finally, we get to this very, let's call it, serious <laughs> allegation. And you were retort, man, and you can't be serious about this. I'm as serious as Coca-Cola was with putting cocaine in their early drinks and now making a synthetic cocaine where the synthetic uh, uh, formula is locked away in a vault in Atlanta and the drug dealers from down in Columbia, uh, South America, wants to get that formula because it's better than the real cocaine. <laughs> so in your professional opinion... Could he possibly be serious about that fucking accusation? Well, again, that's a very good, that's a very good point. He says he is serious. He believes this. I have no reason to doubt his word. I do doubt the claim he's making. That's a pretty easy one to doubt. Yeah. So, if you could try to try to dive into the Pastor Manning epistemology and tell me, for a guy like that, how do you figure he decides what is and is not true? What gets you more hits on YouTube? I think you may be onto his secret <laughs> right there. It. He's an Alex Jones with a religious angle. And these guys are really, really difficult to work out. If you're good at being crazy, you don't have to be good at verifying facts or, or checking any stories or you can become quite successful at it, as he has, uh, as he has demonstrated here. I gotta say, there's, there's, if there's good money in crazy, it's a damn shame that we're doing what we're doing, because crazy's got to be a lot easier. <laughs> it does. The padded cells are certainly more comfortable than the cardboard boxes you and I sleep in. Exactly. All right, now before I let you go, I wanted to let everybody know that you did, of course, make a rebuttal video in a similar vein to the first, which I'll also be linking in the show notes, with the desperate hope that Pastor Manning ups the ante and gives you yet another cornucopia of insanity to play with. And, of course, you can hear more from Adam on the Herd Mentality podcast, which you'll also find linked on the show notes. Some of the best editing and production quality in the business, if I do say so myself, and I do. Adam, thanks so much for joining us and fighting the good fight. Thank you, Tom and Cecil. It's been wonderful. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going to stick that in. <laughs> I want to 
cut in with an uncharacteristically serious moment to talk about a very real problem that the atheist movement has. This is perhaps the single greatest piece of ammunition that we offer the theists in our social debate. When you look at the numbers, highly religious people tend to give significantly more to charity than atheists. Now, if you take out religious people who don't regularly attend services, this number all but disappears, and that raises an interesting question. Are religious people more charitable because they're religious, or is it because churches offer them an easy means to give along with the social pressure to do so? I guess I don't need to tell you where I land on this issue, but I invite you to help us prove me right this December. If you're not familiar with the Foundation Beyond Belief, you should be. This is a charitable organization created by Dale McGowan and some fellow atheists that saw this phenomenon and set out to change it by creating an easy way for atheists to not only give to secular charities, but also to give in the name of atheism. They give to a number of different charities every quarter, and they do all the hard work of ensuring that your money isn't going to go to evangelism or anti-gay rights legislation or any of the many things religious charities have been known to divert their funds to. So this coming Saturday and Sunday, friend of the show David Smalley from Dogma Debate Radio is going to be holding a 24-hour online broadcast in an effort to raise money for the Foundation Beyond Belief, and I'm excited to play a small part in it. The broadcast begins at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on December 6th. That's Saturday. It runs through the night and into Sunday afternoon, and David's going to welcome a stellar lineup of guests, including Lawrence Krauss, Peter Bogosian, Dave Silverman, J.T. Eberhardt, Seth Andrews, Tom and Cecil from Cognitive Dissonance, Dan Errol, um, that Australian dude that I interviewed earlier in this episode whose name escapes me at the moment, Andy Wilson from the Incredulous Podcast, and of course yours truly. Now the goal is to break the 24-hour fundraising record for the Foundation Beyond Belief, and if you can, please help us reach this goal. Now I'll be on at 8 a.m. Eastern Time on Sunday the 7th. You can find links to more information, including a link to listen in on this week's show notes. Alright, so that's all the serious shit. Now back to your regularly scheduled dick jokes. After listening to Adam's mock interview with Pastor Manning, as well as a number of similar skits he's done on his show before, I was inspired to try my hand at the same thing. So I sat down with my editing software and I asked myself, who do I know that really deserves to have their words taken out of context for the purposes of a satirical, sexually charged mock interview? Rejoining me tonight is my good friend Adam Reeks. Adam, thanks for coming back on so quickly. Yes, thank thank you for having me. Well, yes, I I asked you back on because we spent so much time talking about Pastor Manning that I feared the audience wouldn't get a chance to know you as a person. So tell us, what makes Adam Reeks tick? Now, that would be semen and drinking. I see. So so when you're not podcasting, you're... Gargling some man juice. Very interesting. Until very, very early hours of the morning. And I understand that you're also very fond of nipple clamps. I put them on when I want to stay up. I see. And and do you apply those yourself? Every morning I get up and I I look for more semen enthusiasts. Wow, that seems challenging. Where does a person go to find people like that? I went and paid some money to a website. And and what was the name of the site? I'm I'm asking uh, f- for a friend, of course. Pedophileangle.org. Oh well, that's that's disturbing. And this is a, a wonderful place to find uh, semen enthusiasts. And uh, that. That gentleman behind you in the mask, is, is that someone that you met on pedophileangle.org? Mm-hmm. He seems um, kind of creepy. This is, this is his thing. I, I really I don't need to see that, Adam. This is all very hard. Yes, I, I can see that it's hard, but... <laughs> That's a very good point. Yes, it's an impressive member, but please ask him to put it away. These guys are really, really difficult to work out. Well, I can see that you're trying your best there. Uh, now, I... I... I do have to say, that's an impressive stroking technique that you've got. How did you learn? Self-abuse. I see. 
and the other sodomites. The other sodomites helped you learn? Mm-hmm. And, and how did you know you had it mastered? All of a sudden, it uh, came. The, the, the penis, you mean? It just flowed. No, it just flowed. <laughs> well, judging by the look on that guy's face, you, you've had plenty of practice. You can become quite successful at it. Clearly. Well, I, you know, I don't want to keep you, Adam, so uh, thanks again for your time. It all came out well. Thank uh, you. Yes, it did come out well. It's very difficult to see through this, Noah. Well, that's because a pedophile just ejaculated all over your computer screen. It's infuriating. I'm sure it is. Well, Adam, thank you again. Thank you. The Holy I think of the minor prophets as the New England of the Old Testament. Even though they're every bit as boring as driving through all the other states, you feel like you're accomplishing more just because the state lines are so much closer together. But of course, in reality, you're just still doing the same boring fucking thing you've been doing since California. Assuming that boring trip has been genociding rival ethnic groups well, clearly. along the way. Exactly, exactly. Really weird road trip. Now we're going to be knocking out four more minor prophets tonight. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, and Habakkuk. And joining us to do so, of course, is my lovely wife, Lucinda. Lucinda, welcome back. Glad to be here. All right, so we'll start with Jonah, who we first met in a throwaway sentence back in Second Kings. Now, the working theory here is that this story was attributed to Jonah as a way of lending the story some legitimacy. Oh. And believe me, it needs all the legitimacy it can get <laughs> by tying it to this relatively <laughs> unknown character from accepted Jewish history. It's like the Boba Fett of the Old Testament. Right, right, yeah, yeah a fan fiction favorite here. Yeah. So we first meet Jonah when God shows up to tell him to go to Nineveh and warn the people there that God's going to destroy them for their wickedness. Right. And Jonah says, fuck Nineveh, and <laughs> takes the first I'm boat out. the fuck Tail out of Dodge. between his legs. Yes. He doesn't even hesitate. But turns Hell out nah. you can't run from the omnipresence. So God sends a storm to his ship, and somehow Jonah pretty much sleeps through it until the captain pops in and tells him to get to praying. Right. Apparently when sailors get hit by a storm, standard nautical safety procedure back then is to throw random objects on the floor of the boat. And if your multicultural team of pagan astrologer shaman pirates right. all decode <laughs> right. the, the message together and figure out what you fucking can do. In this case, the message says that Jonah's god is causing the existence of weather. Obviously, so... Right, uh, right. And it was really hard to tell because the Magic 8-Ball just won't settle in when the boat's rocking. But they figured <laughs> it out. They got it. Right. So they told John, okay, so, you know, talk to your boy. What, uh, what religion are you? You're a Hebrew? Son of a bitch! You let the Jew... You let a Jew... That's the Old Testament guy we're dealing with. What in the whole fucking Says he's the world. real one right there in the book. We're pretty much fucked now. Who would let a Jew on board? Honestly. But luckily, just then, God sent a giant fish to swallow Jonah. You know, right, for a right, yeah, after they threw him <laughs> overboard. And then he h- just hung out in the fish for a long weekend, like yeah. people do Standard. when they're in fishes. But then Jonah prayed really good, so God ordered the fish to puke him up on a beach somewhere. <laughs> right. And this particular part of the Bible has caused way too many people to spend actual time and effort trying to explain how a human could live inside the digestive system of an enormous fish for three days. And if you're curious, the answer is don't do that. Right. But right. more importantly, I'd like to hear a description of the physics behind this uh, Leviathan vomit cannon that was able to launch a human projectile from offshore all the way onto dry land somehow. Right. Giant fish jumps out, spits them onto a mountain. I want to see it. But but believe it or not, that's not that's not the least believable part of the book. No. No. It's not. no. So Jonah picks himself up. Wipes off the three days' worth of fish innards and goes to Nineveh like God told him to. And when he gets there, he says, in 40 days, God's going to fuck your city up. 
and everyone, everyone they in just, town believes it. They just drop oh. what they're doing. Okay. Some some crazy dude from the covers fish. Yeah, that's fish uh, slobber water. Right? He says, God's going to get you, motherfuckers. <laughs> and based solely on that, the king orders like a, a, a royal decree telling everybody to stop being evil. So the people of Nineveh all promise to stop being evil, and God forgives them. He's such a sucker like that. And everybody's really happy about that, except this asshole Jonah, <laughs> who's pissed that God made him look like a, a crappy prophet. Man, I said they were going to all die, and they didn't. <laughs> because the king of Nineveh hears about Jonah's prophecy, and the plan goes something like this. If we all starve and torture ourselves for a month, then nothing will happen, and we'll make... Jonah looked like an idiot. Right. Right. <laughs> it worked. Which, which, and Jonah responds like God gave him half a hand job here. He, <laughs> he bitches at God and then he sits down in the desert because he'd rather die than not sit in the desert until he dies, apparently, I guess. I don't know. This whole part is so fucking weird. First of all, he's mad because he thinks it's better to destroy a whole town than make him look stupid. Right. <laughs> and God says, listen, asshole, I'm not going to destroy a town of six score thousand people just to make a point. And Jonah's like, what the fuck are you talking about? You do that all the time. That's the whole book you've been doing. God's like, shh, let's try another metaphor. Great metaphors. I'm going to try to explain this. This is like even bad for God. So this is, he makes a bush to give Jonah some shade. And then the next night he kills the bush because he's a dick and... Jonah gets even more suicidal than he was already because apparently he's fallen in love with his bush now and can't live without it. See where he's going with this. And so, yeah, and th- right. And that's it. That's the therefore God says, see, it's kind of like the city, the bush. Huh? And, and no, it's it's really not. But then the book just ends. Yep. It's like a Coen Brothers movie if they weren't good. You know? right. Without a dildo chair rocking back. Right. That, that is ending. what this fucking book Way needs. less entertaining. Yeah. That's going to move us along to the book of Micah. And that's more of the mindless bitching that we've come to expect from our minor prophets. Or the Bible in general. Right, right, attention. exactly. So Micah starts with the titular prophet ranting on about God melting the mountains and exploding the valleys because of the high places and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but he adds the twist that Jerusalem itself is a high place. <laughs> right. <laughs> which would explain why they can't seem to get right up there. Right, so God decides to make all of Judah into an equally medium-heighted pile of rubble. Right. That's the <laughs> I'm going to fix this for Nothing everybody. will be high there. Also, I think God accidentally stumbles onto possibly his first useful analogy in the entire... Micah 1-7, which said, basically, if you make money like a whore, I'm going to slap you like a pimp. You know, like that's... <laughs> yeah. I, got, I got what he was saying. Exactly what he meant. Israel, whore, me, better. pimp, slap. <laughs> God smacked. <laughs> chapter two of Micah is a perfect example of what I was talking about. Though, like, okay, so for two verses, he explains what the sins are, which are apparently mourning, sex, field coveting, and oppressing houses. But then we get eleven verses on all the horrible punishments God's going to have in store for them for these little sins. Up to and including the lyrics to the song, people will eventually write about how seriously God kicked Israel. Yes, ass, they actually which is incredibly have that, frustrating actually. to read. <laughs> So the transgression du jour offered in chapter 3 is pretty morbid. This chapter is dedicated to people who, quote, tear the skin off my people and the flesh off their bones, flay the skin off of them, break their bones in pieces, and chop them up like meat in a kettle, end quote. And I think we can all agree that that's that's pretty bad. But I love how it comes after 
the morning wood and field covering. Right. <laughs> right. Established way beforehand. Let's get that first. Priority. And I also want to point out that it doesn't go so far as saying that skinning people and chopping them up is always bad. No. No. Necessarily. No. He just says not to do that to the Jews. Not to my people. Right. Exactly. Now, uh, then in chapter four, this book takes a hard left that just smacks of later edition by a different the, author the and goes from yeah. mountain melting rage to universal peace <laughs> and happiness. Yeah, in this chapter, God promises that someday he'll do away with war and all the people will beat their swords into plows. And all I can think the whole time is what the fuck are you waiting for? <laughs> do that then! Yeah, exactly! Exactly! exactly. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and that's actually a pretty important theological issue, I think, for all the Abrahamic faiths, mm-hmm. right? According to your book, God can cure the world of evil and war and want and plans on doing so eventually. <laughs> Doesn't that kind of fuck up almost every response to the problem of evil that the apologists have ever offered? Right. By the way, this is also the part where God decides to use the Jews as slavery entrapment bait. Mm -hmm. Okay, everyone go down to Babylon, and I want you to offer to be enslaved. Be really nice about it. Like, a little tricky almost. (laughs) And then, you know, they'll definitely enslave you. What I'm going to do is... you know, I'll wait a few decades, then I'm going to come save you guys. <laughs> at that point, they'll be guilty of slavery, Those so assholes. we get to keep all their gold. Oh. Uh, win-win. Mm-hmm. Except yeah. for, well, the generation of slaves, yeah, which well, is you they'll, guys, they'll and go. <laughs> <laughs> Babylon. Have fun, guys. Yeah. Have fun storming the castle. And not to get all nitpicky here, but in chapter 5, they're giving us some like pre-Jesus Messiah prophecies. Mm-hmm. And when they're talking about the coming Jew king, they talk about him ruling over Assyria. Which... Which, yeah, exactly. Basically, stop being a place in 612 BCE. So either Jesus was running crazy late or he was a 7th century BCE Median and we missed that entirely. Or he didn't exist in the standard. Well, there's also that sense. possibility. Yeah. This, this guy's from Bethlehem you're talking about, right? Galilee? No, didn't you say Nazareth? Eight year old caught in a lie? Just making shit up now? <laughs> <laughs> you have a certificate? <laughs> <laughs> And with that, we move on to Nahum, which is agreed by most secular biblical scholars to be a case of postdiction mm. that predicts the fall of Nineveh after it already happened. Yes, exactly. And in typical so. biblical fashion, the fact that the Jews had absolutely nothing to do with the fall of the Assyrian Empire, <laughs> they give all the credit to Jew God by explaining that he was just using all of them Medeans and Babylonians and barbarians and shit so the Jews wouldn't have to get their hands dirty, but it was him that was, like, behind the whole thing. It was his idea. I gotta say, this, it's refreshingly horrible compared to some of those other, you know, like, half-assed, waffly prophets going, <laughs> right. I might was, destroy you, I might not. Sand. Right, so Nahum starts with a full chapter dedicated to just how impressive God's penis really is. Good girth, medium little, <laughs> left, uncircumcised, no moils yet. What? Right, right. Can God make a penis so big that not even he can suck the bloody end of it anyway? Ew. And, He's and, tried. <laughs> He's so repressed. <laughs> and, and then it spends a full chapter like reveling in the blood, rape, violence, dismemberment, and looting of the city. Including Happy specific times. references to carting off their slave girls who are moaning like doves and beating their breasts. Yeah, right. Like gorillas. I'm, yeah, I'm not really sure what the breast beating is all about. In no sense. I'm paying not, attention, though. They might have right, been not to mention the... that shit would hurt. Yeah. Yes. Can I just say here that it really pisses me off? how this book always refers to the evil shit and what God's going to do to it as a she or a her. Right, yes. Fuck that All bad stuff has a vagina. Right. Yes. 
Right. Anyway, anyway, it, it just wouldn't be a biblical prophecy if they didn't also hack the infants to pieces with swords and celebrate it with applause all over the known fucking world. And Thebes fell. We yes. said that really happened, and we said <laughs> it. Just this whole book is uh, we're not lying and adding this later. Why would you even ask? We said Thebes is a real place. We've established <laughs> this entire book is true. Moving on. Yeah, right. the guy lived in the fucking fish, and that's it. Basically, three chapters of fuck the Assyrians. That's this whole book. Which brings us to our final book for this week, Habakkuk. Uh, you might remember from our brief diversion into the Apocrypha. Yes. Believe, uh, mm-hmm. He was the one God picked up by the hair so he could bring soup to <laughs> Daniel while he was, uh, you know, doing his taming of the lion. Right, right. Yeah, he's been drank, drunk through the air by his hair with his bowl of soup. Going, <laughs> Couldn't you just have taken a fucking soup? Right. <laughs> Anyway, so this book, Habakkuk, was so devoid of content that I felt sorry for the guy who had to write the introduction to it in my Bible. You know, each one's got like nine paragraphs. They can't have the one book with nothing. So this is like six paragraphs of this guy just going, yeah, this one's got some, you know, words and things that might... periods and commas and shit, <laughs> you know, verbs and nouns, basics. Mm-hmm. You have to read no. all things. <laughs> <laughs> The first chapter is basically a really verbose way of saying, hey, God, what gives with all the evil shit? Are you a masochist or incompetent? (laughs) One or the other. It can only be one of those two things. And then, of course, the second chapter is God's response, which is basically, I'm going to do something about that eventually, (laughs) just, you know, when I'm done with this other stuff. Yeah, it's basically the biblical equivalent of all of our deities are busy helping other Jews. Your prayer is very important to us. Please wait, and right. it will be answered in the order it was received. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Also, great spot here. Uh, maybe I'm just reading an obscure translation. I, was, I think it was called King James. I forget. But, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure Habakkuk 2.16 tells us that if we get wasted in front of God, he'll give us a hand job, but... <laughs> But in a bad way, like a shameful hand job from God. <laughs> if you get wasted. For th- I'm sorry. Quote. quote. Okay, oh, yeah. Drink thou oh, also me. and let thy foreskin be uncovered. So like pagans. <laughs> the cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee. And shameful spewing shall be on thy glory. End quote. Okay. All right. I, I stand corrected. I stand corrected. I see, you, uh, I see no other way interpret to interpret that. No. Maybe are you supposed to start jerking it? And then he he rebounds the money shot back at you like a like a rubber glue scenario with like a. I say we step into Mr. Wizard's laboratory. Here. It's not clear, but it's something weird no matter what. Definitely no weird. Besides um, those two I just said with the <laughs> and the shield bouncing. So in summary, uh, Jonah says God is merciful. Mm-hmm. Micah and Nahum disagree vehemently. Yes. And Habakkuk also existed at right. Some he point. was. Also there. Yeah. Right. That's about all we learned this week. It's really, uh, yeah, that's it. That, that pretty much sums it up. Now, we, we, we've only got four tiny little books to do. We're going to be wrapping those up on our Christmas episode. And then we are done with the parts of the Bible that Christianity selectively doesn't count. And it's on to all the Jesus Worst testament ever. ever. <laughs> I haven't read quite all of it, but I've got to imagine by Safe the end of this to time. say. Anyway, Lucinda, he thanks for, and for whatever it's worth, we can smell the finish line from here, guys. Holy blah, blah. Blah, blah. It's time for the part of the show that comes next, listener feedback. This is the part of the show that comes next, listener feedback. Our first message comes from Grant, who wrote us about a problem that's common to a lot of people as they move away from religion. Grant writes, quote, 
When I was converting to atheism, it took a while. I've now discovered why. It's the fear of death, of oblivion, of nothingness, end quote. So it sounds like he's curious about how we deal with that sort of oblivion, death, nothingness issue. Mm. And since his email is very gracious and complimentary and absolutely flattery gets you everywhere with us, let's talk about it. Yeah, now I do want to point out that I talked about this in a little more detail on the diatribe for episode 67. And, and what I said there is that even religious people cry when their loved ones die. You know, nobody really believes that they're going to all meet again in heaven. It doesn't work. So theism or no, death is going to be a hard subject to deal with, especially your own death. So I seriously doubt that there's any series of words that ease the fear of oblivion. But the closest I've ever seen is this great quote from Mark Twain. Most of our listeners probably already know it. Quote, I do not fear death. I had been dead for billions and billions of years before I was born and had not suffered the slightest inconvenience from it, end quote. Well said. We also got an email from Jan in Amsterdam. He brought our attention to the notorious racial intolerance that's typical of the Dutch people. So the Santa Claus character of the Netherlands, Sinterklaas, is often depicted along with a dark-skinned bitch boy dressed very similar to Django on Big Daddy's plantation. His name is Zwarte Piet, Loosely translated N-word Pete, and he wears blackface, bright red lipstick, loud jewelry, and a ridiculous hat. Loosely translated nigger Pete. Luckily, most American racists think the Netherlands is from Peter Pan, so most of them don't know about this. It's only a matter of time. So in the spirit of ridiculing the Dutch for having a more racist Christmas thing than the American South does yet, we will be listing our top ten Racist characters to make holiday parades even more offensive than they might even be in Amsterdam. All right. Number 10, the Easter jungle. You know what? I've changed my mind. I I don't want to do this. (laughs) We we do something else. Try it. Number nine, the the lynch who stole. I I feel uncomfortable, too. I feel okay. All right. Um, Number eight. The Tar Baby New Year. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Heath made me do this. This is absolutely no idea. Number seven. Uh, well, it looks like they already have people marching for Ferguson PD Day. So Number six. Um, St. Nick. You know what? No, I pass. He I passes. Pass. He definitely passes. passes. <laughs> what, about a, what about a holiday parade for Florida? Stand your Groundhog Day. <laughs> Don't fire till you see the darks of their eyes. All right, now we're making fun of white people, so it's not offensive. A honky the snowman, crack cracker Jack Frost, <laughs> something like that. All right, number three. What about America's favorite miscegenated action figure couple, Kenward and Epstein Barbie? <laughs> number two. Rudolph the Redskin Reindeer. See, now that one's not <laughs> offensive at all because Dan Snyder said so. Topical. <laughs> and that's good because this whole, I got to admit, this whole bit was in danger of turning offensive yeah. at any moment. All right, number one. The SS truck's back and it's better than ever. Gestapo the morning to you. <laughs> I really wish we were worse at that. <laughs> And that's all the feedback you get. If you want more, keep sending us those emails, tweets, and Facebook messages. You'll find all the contact info on the contact page at skatingatheist.com. Before we banish the circle tonight, I wanted to offer a huge thanks to Carl from the Post-Rapture Looting Podcast for not winning at fantasy football last week. I can only hope that Mark Nebo from the Raw Men Podcast follows Carl's noble lead and allows my once 11th place team to sneak into the playoffs after all. Also want to apologize to Paul, who provided last week's Farnsworth quote and didn't get so much as a thank you for it at the end of the show. So, Paul, thank you for last week's Farnsworth quote and thank you for your patience in awaiting this verbal expression of my gratitude. Obviously, I can't wrap things up without thanking Adam Reeks one more time for being 
joining both my witting and unwitting guests tonight. If you haven't checked out his show, you may be in dereliction of duty, but I promise not to tell anybody, provided you rectify the situation using the handy link on the show notes for this episode. Again, it's the Herd Mentality Podcast. Of course, I need to thank Heath for always dropping it as though it were heated to an uncomfortable degree. I need to thank the lovely Lucinda Illusions for continuing to love me despite the insane genetic stock from which I spring. I also want to thank Regula from Zurich for providing this week's Farnsworth quote. If I'm not mistaken, that's our first Swiss Farnsworth quote. But most of all, of course, I need to thank this week's best people, David, Bill, Neil, Elsa, Robert, Caleb, Adrian, Rolf, and Paul. David, Bill, and Neil, whose morning wood raises a tent that would make P.T. Barnum jealous. Elsa, Robert, and Caleb, whose non-participation is a written condition of Jeopardy's insurance company. And Adrian, Rolf, and Paul, whose fists are so fast they can beat the shit out of lightning. Together, these nine noble non-believers inspired fresh tears from the baby Jesus this week by giving us money. Giving us money either helps us spread the truth or it pisses God off so much that he hastens the apocalypse. But one way or the other, we're helping to rid the world of true believers. So if you'd like to add Apocalypse Hastener to your resume, you can make a per-episode donation at patreon.com slash atheist and at the same time get 10 to 30% more show every week, or you can make a one-time donation by clicking on the donate button on the right side of our homepage at scathingatheist.com. And if you'd like to help, but you're saving every penny to get Grandma that new gas-powered vibrator, you can also help us a ton by leaving us a glowing review on iTunes. Really helps us find new listeners. Also, listening to us on Stitcher helps delay the inevitable collapse of statewide civilization. Or so I'm told. If you have questions comments or death threats you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at skatingatheist.com all the music used in this episode was written and performed by yours truly and yes i did have my permission oh god you're gonna have to wait at that